Let's have a, a word of prayer here, and then we can get into our study for this morning. So uh, let's bow our, our heads together and our hearts together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your wonderful love for us, your mercy, your watch care. You send angels to, to attend to us and serve us, and we're so very thankful. Um, and Too often we forget about the many blessings. There's so many blessings uh, that uh, just go by, and and uh, we may forget to thank you for those. And But we do this morning. Uh, we pray for those who are ill. We pray for uh, Rollins' mother, Betty. We pray that you'll be very near to her and give her strength, uh, help her to recover. Um, we pray uh, for uh, Sister Monica, who's been under the weather. We pray that you will bless her with healing. Um, those who um, are going through these these weird viruses and stuff we've I've found in this area around home here. I pray that you be very near to them. Be with my mother. Help her to continue to heal. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician and that you want us to have good health. And, Father, we thank, uh, think of those who are suffering around the world. And we pray that you'll be very near to them, the Christians who are being martyred in these other countries. Lord, we pray for angels to be sent to uh, to guard these people, and may they have a tremendous testimony to bring others to to the Savior. And Father, we we thank you so much for Jesus, who lived a life of righteousness, and is our example. And we're going to talk about a few things about that this morning. I pray that you give me the words to speak. Uh, may hearts be ready to hear the truth, as found in your Word, not my opinions but uh, your word only, uh, Lord, and uh, bless us this day as you've promised, not because we're worthy in any way, but uh, because Jesus is, and we pray this in his blessed name. Amen. Well, I, as I said, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about a very important topic. Um, and in fact, it may be, if we think about it, it may be the most important subject for us who live here in the last days, and I, I think we can agree <laughs> that we are living in the last days. In fact, this is the theme of the last generation of whom the 144,000 will be separated from, and that theme is how to overcome sin and be like Jesus. And that's really what the Bible is all about, isn't it? Um, how to be like Jesus. And, and I'd like it to, to begin by inviting you to open to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 21, um, but the last chapters in the Bible are chapters that we should really take special time to study. Right at the end of the book, God gives final and closing instructions for us, for His people. And some of the most important instructions and commands in the Bible are found, actually, in the, the last, oh, three or four chapters of the Bible. But here in Revelation 21... The new earth and the new heavens, where there's going to be no more death, you know, and no more pain and no more sorrow. It's being described there in the first four verses. And then we read the following. If, if you turn to Revelation 21, and we'll begin with verse 5. It says here, it says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It's done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And that's the theme that we talked about the last couple of times about grace and about faith, trust. And it's a free gift from God, isn't it? In verse 7 he says, though, he says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I found that to be very interesting. And it's, it's this theme that's repeated throughout Revelation. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But notice verse 8. He says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is... The second death. And here in these verses, there are pointed out two categories of people. And remember, we're studying about the church and 
and who and what the church is, and we find there's there's just two sides in this great controversy, friends. And and here are the sides in Revelation 21. Here again, they're delineated. There are two categories of people here. And the first category tells of those that overcome. And if you overcome, the Lord says, I'm going to give you everything. You're going to inherit all things. Every single thing. You're not going to have to earn it. I'm going to give it to you. This is what he's saying. And he says, these words are faithful and true. And God's not a liar, is he? So, when he talks about those who overcome, what does that mean? And that's what we're going to, going to discover, hopefully, uh, as we go on here. But what happens if I do not overcome? <laughs> that's a question too, isn't it? What if I am in the category that's listed in, in verse 8? You know, the fearful and the unbelieving, abominable murderers and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Now, there will be people in heaven that have done all these things that were listed in verse 8, isn't that right? But while they were still alive in this world, something happened, didn't it? Something happened to them. There was a change that happened. And the Bible repeatedly calls that change conversion. They decided to turn their backs on their former way of life and they overcame their former bad habits. They overcame those things, see, overcome. They overcame those things that were mentioned in verse 8. I mean, let's think about it. Can you think of any murderers in the Bible that you know are going to be saved? Well, sure. You know, Moses was a murderer, wasn't he? Uh, Manassas. Manasseh was. David. I mean, that's, that's one. He, he murdered uh, a man to have his, so he could have his wife. Paul. What about Paul? Paul was a murderer, wasn't he? All of those people were murderers, and all of these people are going to be saved. But the reason that they're going to be saved is because they repented of what they had done. They turned around. They uh, overcame those evil tendencies, those evil habits. They quit doing that. See? They were overcomers. So if you're in one of the categories listed in verse 8, you can be saved if you're willing to change, if you're willing to be made willing to overcome. And the more you you read this passage of Scripture, the more important you realize, I think, um, how overcoming is. It's not enough for me to come to church or, or to make a profession of religion, is it? That's not enough. There are millions upon millions of professing Christians um, that are not overcomers. They have no desire to overcome. Uh, the sad thing is that many of them don't even know there is a need to overcome. I have to overcome if I'm going to receive eternal life. That's what the Bible is telling us. And if I don't overcome, I'm not going to receive eternal life. Even if I go to church or make a profession of religion or preach or teach or do any of those things. Again, this is the theme that's recorded over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. The necessity of being an overcomer. If you look in Revelation 2 and Revelation chapter 3, you'll, you'll find that to each of the seven churches, the promise of salvation is given only to those that what? Overcome. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, to overcome, that means to conquer. It's the same... Thing. It's, it's, it's telling us that we need to be conquerors in Christ. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. Here again, Jesus, he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. So, when you think about this, you realize as we draw closer and closer and, and closer to the end of the world, that it becomes more critical to conquer, to be an overcomer. Now, it's always been critical. This is the thing about it. It's always been critical to overcome, because if you don't overcome, you die. Uh, you're lost, you see. And that's always been the case. The problem is that there are always people that think that because of their age or some other reason, 
Um, well, they put that death, you know, dying a long ways away. So they think, well, I can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a while, and then I can overcome later. And, you know, and that's that, that's that attitude of self that wants to preserve itself, see? But do you realize that when probation closes and the end of the world comes, there will be some people in this world that are very young? It's not going to be all old people, <laughs> right? There are going to be some people that, you know, they may be 20 years old. That's not very old, at least to me it's not very old. There will be some people in the world that are 10 years old. That's not very old, is it? So as we draw closer and closer to the end of the world and the close of probation becomes absolutely vital for every one of us of every age to study carefully what the Bible says about how to be like Jesus, how to be an overcomer. I mean, I think it would be cruel to tell people or, or preach to people and say that you or I need to overcome if we don't know what or how to do it. Isn't that right? And God doesn't tell us, you know, you need to be an overcomer, but not He doesn't. it's not like he doesn't lay it out for us how to be an overcomer. It'd be rather cruel, wouldn't it, to do that? So let's look again at Revelation 3 and verse 21. There's a very little word here that I want you to look at. Actually, uh, it is a much bigger word in the Greek language, but in the English language, it only has two letters. And this two-letter word has the secret about how to overcome. It's the little secret that's hidden in the details, isn't it? Revelation 3 and 21, if you look at the text, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even... And the next word is the two-letter word in the King James Bible, anyway... What is that word? It's the word as. Isn't it? As I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. What does that word as mean? What does it mean? Well, it means just like or in the same way, doesn't it? Now, look at the text. If I'm going to overcome temptation... I'm going to overcome my evil tendencies and overcome my sin. How am I going to do it? Well, Jesus is saying here, you're going to do it the same way that I did. You see, as I overcame. So we're going to study here the life of Jesus a bit more and find out in his life an example of how to overcome. So let's go in, in the Bible to the book of Matthew. Right at the beginning of the New Testament there, let's study a little context of one of the first great battles that Jesus had. Now, this is not the first battle that he had, but it is the first one that is recorded in the New Testament. Here in Matthew 4, you've recorded, um, you have recorded the temptation of Jesus in verses, well, the first ten verses there. Um, and this is the first great battle in which Jesus overcame the devil. Now, remember that here we're, we're talking about a physical battle. We're talking about, uh, I mean, we're not talking about a physical battle. We're talking about something that's bigger than that. We're talking about a spiritual battle, aren't we? But I want you to see the context of this battle and, and see when it happened. Okay. Now, before Jesus went into this battle, I want you to notice what, what happened. Before he even went into battle, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Before we get before we move on here. Matthew three verse thirteen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus had never sinned, see. There was really no reason for him to repent and be baptized, was there? But Jesus wanted to be the example for us, didn't he? And that's why he told John, he said, hey, let's do it now because it's right to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, he said, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But I want you to notice here that Jesus was baptized, right? 
And it says that the Holy Spirit came down and it lighted upon him. So before Jesus went to his first major battle, what had happened? He was baptized, wasn't he? He had received the Holy Spirit. Now, might that be significant? Let me ask you, friends. Are are you having any battles with the devil? Or with sin? Or with the desires of your sinful nature? And have you lost any battles with your with self? Now, Jesus didn't lose the battle that we read about in Matthew 4. But before he went into the battle, we see here in chapter 3, he was baptized and he had received the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read the first verse in chapter 4, it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the battle. <laughs> and that's pretty significant too. Now, if If Jesus had to receive the Holy Spirit so that he could win the battle, do you suppose it's necessary for each of us to receive the Holy Spirit if we want to win the battle? In fact, look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter here, he says, if you repent and are baptized, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized and received the Holy Spirit before he went into his first major battle that's recorded there in Matthew chapter 4. Let's back up one more step. Let's back up a step. Is there some prerequisite for baptism? And and I want you to listen carefully because not every Christian in the world understands what I'm going to say right now. Some people think you can baptize somebody when they're first born. But according to the Bible, is there some prerequisite before you can even be baptized? Well, yes, there is. There was even in the time of John the Baptist, there was this prerequisite. Let's look back. Let's go back to Matthew 3. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Well, let me ask you a question. Why were they confessing their sins? Because look at what John the Baptist told them in verse 2. If you back up to verse 2, he said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, what is necessary in order to be baptized? Well, two things really. Um, Let's look up one more text and I'll summarize it for you. Mark 16 and verse 16. Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be damned. And we, the last couple times we were together, we talked about grace, we talked about faith, trust, and, and we talked about believing. It, it, it constitutes in that word, that Greek word, it constitutes a commitment to. You're making a commitment to. You're not just making a mental assent that something is true. You're committing yourself to it. You remember that? Now notice, a baby cannot believe in God yet. Can it? It's not old enough to make such decisions to believe. Belief or faith is necessary in order to to make a decision to be baptized. So there are two prerequisites to be baptized. One is to experience repentance, which includes confession. And two is to experience faith. Now faith, of course, involves study and, and teaching and learning, right? And so... Jesus said that when people were baptized, they were to be taught all that he had commanded. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? So, repentance and faith. And then when a person is baptized, he receives the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, I I have to have that experience if I'm going to have victory and overcome in my life. Now, let's study for a few minutes and see why that's so. First of all, What is repentance? I mean, where did that come from? Repentance is a word that that we use so often as Christians. I wonder sometimes if people, uh, especially our younger people, really know what it means. We say repentance. 
And John the Baptist came and he was saying, repent. Well, what does that mean? I was very interested when I first studied where the the word repentance comes from in the Greek language, which is translated in the New Testament. Uh, A similar word, friends, is not really found all that much in the Old Testament. But repentance is a word that is used constantly throughout the New Testament. Now, they had synonyms for it in the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. It speaks about it, but but they had synonyms for it. They didn't have the exact word that you find in the Greek. The basic word... For repentance means that you've changed your mind. That's what it means. It means you've changed your mind. Well, you changed your mind about what? (laughs) Well, you changed your mind about sin. Well, what is sin? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4. It says that sin is what? It is the transgression of the law. It's breaking God's law. You're a transgressor. And why do people sin and live a life of sin? Why do they do that? Why do we we fall into that? What causes us to do that? Why do people sin? Well, the Bible talks about the temporary pleasures of sin. And people want those temporary pleasures. But when a person repents, they change their mind about that, you see. The sin that they used to love, they don't love that anymore. They turn away from it. They begin to hate it, and they turn away from it. They're sorry that they did it. Let me tell you, did you know that you and I, we couldn't make ourselves repent? We couldn't change our minds ourselves. We have no power to do that. And the Bible is very clear that you and I cannot repent on our own. Repentance itself is a gift that we receive from God. However, there is something that we have to do to receive it. Let's look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2 and verse 4 it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What is it that leads people to repentance? It's the goodness of God. Now, notice how these people were led to repentance here in Acts, the second chapter when Peter was preaching. There were 3,000 souls that repented. They changed their minds, right? And they, and they believed. That means they committed to Christ. And then what? They were baptized. And when you're baptized, what do we find out? You receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now notice what it was that led them to that repentance. And we will not... You know, I'm not going to read Peter's entire sermon here, but we'll just look at the punchline, so to speak, in verses 36 and 37. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to know, What should we do to be saved? But I'll ask you the question, What was it that cut right to the heart? And the result was that 3,000 people repented and were baptized. What pricked their heart there? It was the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I mean, they had been there. And many of those people had been involved in it because it just happened a little, well, like what, seven weeks, a little over seven weeks before this this time. What was it that brought repentance? Well, it was the study of the life and closing events there in the life of Jesus Christ. It pricked their hearts. So, you cannot make yourself repent. I cannot make myself repent, but there's something you can do. If you will study the life of Christ and make a special study of those closing scenes of the life of Christ, so that you understand what it means, that it was because of what I did that Jesus had to go to the cross. Until you realize that, friends, you don't understand the story of the cross. The story of the cross is not about what Jesus did for somebody else. It's the story of what he did for me. It's the story of what he did personally for each of you. 
And until you realize that, until that comes home, and and you you're cut to the heart, you'll not have that experience of repentance that you have to have because the study of what happened, that study of what happened there at the cross causes a person to stop loving sin because sin is what put Jesus there. And so you find out that sin's not as pleasurable anymore. And you find that it's actually hideous, that it's awful. And it's something to be hated. It's something to be that you're to flee from. It's not something to be enjoyed because you see where it leads to. You see the ultimate end of it. Now, everybody's going to find that out sometime. Everybody is. The Old Testament said concerning Jesus that He suffered the pains of hell for us. And we need to make it personal. It's got to be personal. He did it for he did it for each person. He did it for me. Not somebody else. We need to make it personal because it is. Then you'll find out that sin is not something that brings pleasure and enjoyment. The Bible says that the way of the transgressors is hard and that there's no peace to the wicked and that it brings destruction, misery and death. I mean, read it for yourself and in your own Bible, Romans chapter 3. And you're not going to overcome sin while you're loving it and cherishing it. Right? And clinging to it and saying, Oh Lord, what shall I do? Well, it's not going to happen. Because you're loving it. You're cherishing it. You're clinging to it. Let me share this with you from the book, The Desire of Ages, page 83. says, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point. We should take what point by point? The life of Christ. Okay? We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. So friends, the first point I I want to bring out to you on how to be an overcomer uh, is that you need to study the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. And that will lead you to repentance. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2. You're going to have a different mindset about sin when you come to the cross. Until that happens, there's going to be no victory in your life. You're, you're not going to be able to overcome. But repentance is not enough by itself. In Romans 7, there is a description of a man who does not want to sin anymore, but he doesn't have the power to break loose from it. And I'll tell you that, you know, preachers meet these kinds of people all the time that say, you know, I don't want to keep living the kind of life I'm living. I want to turn away from it, but I cannot get loose. Well, that's where faith comes in, see. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 22 We'll begin there in verse 22. And here's this man uh, who, who's come to Jesus. He says, and he's, he's, he's speaking about his boy. He says, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He's pleading with Jesus here, right? Help me. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That means you need to commit yourself again. Remember, we talked about this, and I can't emphasize it enough. People, so many Christians think that word belief means you just believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's much more than that. It means making a commitment to him. Okay? And so Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Very interesting, isn't it? 
And when Jesus saw that the people came running, they came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Now here's the story of a man who comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I'm in so much trouble, but if you can do anything to help us, please help us. I mean, he says it with tears. And Jesus said, that's not the problem, whether or not I can help. That's not the problem at all. The problem is whether or not you can believe and trust me. That's the problem. Because all things are possible to him who believes, those who trust me, those who have faith in me. It's very interesting, a statement I found in Desire of Ages, page 429, uh, about this, this example. Let me read it to you. It says, Look not to self, but to Christ. He who healed the sick and cast out demons when he walked among men is the same mighty Redeemer today. Faith comes by the word of God. Then grasp his promise. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 Cast yourself at his feet with the cry, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Never. Wow. How are you and I going to have that kind of faith? How are we going to have that kind of faith? Well, let's go back to the book of Matthew and we'll look at the same story in Matthew 17. This is the same story. And right after this happened... Notice what happened starting in verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it, and here's the key, verse 21. It says, How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And he's talking about casting out the demon. But I'll tell you, this is also how to, this is also how to be an overcomer. First is, you're not going to repent unless you study the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes in the life of Christ, which will draw you to repentance. We talked about that. The second is you're not going to be able to yank yourself loose from your sinful lifestyle unless you have faith. And Jesus said that faith does not go out except by what? He said there, verse 21, by prayer and fasting. And you find this, actually you find this quite a lot throughout the Bible. If you look at Daniel, Daniel was one of those men who, he, he was put in some really hard circumstances, wasn't he? He was a man of prayer. In fact, they used that against him, or tried to, at one time, didn't they? Um, they tried to use that against him. But let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. It says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. It says there. And, and so here we see with Daniel... You get into certain circumstances and, and the only way to overcome is by prayer and fasting. And this is what Daniel was doing. He talks about his prayer and fasting again in chapter 10. We look at verses 2 and 3. It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. So for 21 days. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he was fasting for three weeks. And it's evident from the language used that he was he was he was eating a little bit of food, but he wasn't eating like dessert. He wasn't eating meat. He wasn't drinking uh, wine. All the things he could have eaten at other times, he refrained from those things. So he was living in in a most simple way. Well, why was he doing this? Because he wanted to concentrate all the powers of his mind to seek the Lord. And Jesus said, this kind of faith, 
The kind of faith that will move the mountains of difficulty out of your life, friends, does not happen without prayer and fasting. So do you still want to be an overcomer? (laughs) If you want to be an overcomer, in addition to studying the life of Christ, especially those closing scenes in his life, you're going to have to become a person of prayer. So, you know, do you have stated times or places where to pray? Jesus said we're to go to our closet and pray, didn't he? We're to have special times. Daniel prayed three times a day, in the morning, middle of the day, and in the evening. Those are good examples for us, aren't they? We're to start our day with prayer, speaking to God, laying out all things to Him, getting instruction from Him, catching up with Him in the middle of the day. It's It's more for us to get a reminder of, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing today? Let's get focused back again on doing God's will. Now, a third point on how to be an overcomer is found in Matthew chapter 4. And this is the account of Jesus' great battle with the devil here in the wilderness. You find that Jesus had three temptations here that were thrown at him. When Jesus answered the devil, you'll find he didn't even answer the devil in his own words. Now, he could have. He could have answered the devil in his own words, but he chose not to. How did Jesus answer the devil? What words did he use? He used the scriptures every time, didn't he? You can read it there in Matthew 4 and verse 4. Every time Jesus answered the devil by saying what? He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That was the the first temptation, wasn't it? By the way, how did Jesus know that? You know, there's no record that he had a Bible there. How did he know that it said that? Might be a simple question. Jesus memorized scripture, didn't he? And when the devil came to him, he didn't didn't need to use his own words. He could answer the devil in the words of scripture. And that's, that's the point number three. Are you memorizing scripture? Jesus won the victory by using... Um, the words of Scripture, right? It is written, is what he said. Beloved, if you do not know what the Scriptures say, if you've not memorized the promises of God, if you've not spent time in prayer and fasting, if you've not been studying the life of Christ, especially those closing scenes, so that in your mind you've turned away from the attractions of sin, then you're not going to overcome. You're not going to have a right to enter the new Jerusalem and eat from the tree of life. Let's go to another point. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. We'll look at verse 39 here. Now this is the record of the great battle that Jesus had with the devil that started there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to notice what Jesus prayed on this occasion. There's something here that that is vital, I believe, to understand if we're going to be an overcomer. Verse 39 says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now that was the first incident there in the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't it? Let's look at verse 42. Verse 42, this is the second instance. It says, He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then the third time it says, go a couple more verses, verse 44, And he left them and went again, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. That is, the same words that he said the second time. What is the main thrust Um that you that you get from these petitions that Jesus was making here in the Garden of Gethsemane. These three instances, what's the main thrust that, that just kind of pops out to you? Well, he surrendered his will to the Father's will, didn't he? Now, it's very evident when you read it that he, he didn't want to go through with the process, did he? In his flesh... 
In his human nature, he, did, he wanted to avoid it. But what was it that he said in his prayer? He said, not my will, but your will, Father. And so that's a key to us, isn't it? To being overcomers. If we want to be like Jesus, and be an overcomer like Jesus, we need to submit our will to the Father's will, don't we? Have you surrendered your will to God's will? And it's something that needs to be done every day. The surrender of the will, let me tell you, and, and most of you um, who've had the struggles, you know this, this is one of the hardest things for a human being to do. To surrender our will to God. It is a battle in the human heart. Am I going to surrender my will to God's will? So it's the greatest battle, I think, that, that we can ever wage. You know, somebody somebody will say, I, I'm afraid. I, I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid God will want me to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> well, that could be. And as you've heard me say many times, self will not put self to death. It's got to be crucified. See? So it's naturally going to say, well, I'm not going to do that because God will want me to do something I don't want to do. See? But God doesn't want to hurt you, friends. God is constantly working for your present and your eternal good. But sometimes what's good for you is not what you want or what you like. To those of you who have children, do you ever... Do you ever have that, have that experience with your children? What's really good for them is not always what they want or what they like, is it? So if the parent has a different idea about what's good for the child, who should be willing to yield their will? The yielding of the will to God is one of the great reasons that there are so many Christians that suffer failure in the Christian life. They want to be in control of their own will. They're not willing to yield their will to God. They're not willing to be made willing. They're not willing to say, Lord, whatever your will is for me, I am surrendered to it. I'm willing to follow it, even if it's completely opposite of what I would think. But it's necessary if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be an overcomer like Jesus. You know, there's a promise that James gives us in James 4 and verse 7. And the very first thing about resisting the devil and making the devil flee from us is that we have to submit ourselves to God first. That's what James says there. James 4 and verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what do you got to do first? You got to submit your will to God first. Let's go to John 12. Let's look at another point here and how to be an overcomer. This is another example in the life of Jesus about how we do this. If, if we're going to overcome, the only way to do it is, is the way Jesus did it. Isn't that true? Would you agree with that? John 12, verse 25. Jesus here, he says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. So Jesus said, if you want to serve me, then you need to follow me, right? Well, what does it mean to follow? Let's look at Matthew 20. Begin with verse 25. Matthew 20 and verse 25 here. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So what's Jesus telling us here? What, what, what is he telling us on how is it that we follow him? Well, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Well, what's that mean? 
It means that you're going to live a life of service. And when you say you want to follow Jesus, how do we follow Jesus? We, we, we become servants. And not only a life of service, but did you notice what it says? To give his life a ransom for many, it said there. So not only a life of service, but also to deny yourself for the good of those that you are serving. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's the way to overcome. To live a life of service. A life of self-denial. You're going to deny yourself for the benefit of others. To serve them, see. Well, there are three more points that I want to cover. Let's look at John 14. We'll read just one verse. You know, you could read John 14, 15, 16, 17. I mean, this principle is reviewed in those chapters over and over and over again. But very short statement Jesus made in John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Very simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you chose to follow Jesus, and as you study his life, especially the closing events in his life, you begin to realize that all... Uh, um, that all this was done, not just for the world out there, but it was done personally for you, then something happens inside you, you see. It is true that you cannot force somebody to love you, but when you study the life of Christ, and especially those closing scenes in his life, you begin to recognize what it means. and You begin to recognize how much he loves you, you see. And here Jesus was saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So we're talking about love as the motivator. In the Desire of Ages, page 22, notice this, says, Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love Him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only... This work only one being in all the universe could do. Only He who knew the height and depth of the love of God, could make it known. Upon the world's dark night, the Son of Righteousness must rise with healing in His wings. So as you study the love of God, friends, you start receiving it, and the result is devotion and obedience to Him. Obedience that, you know, is not the result of love, really isn't worth anything at all. And as we talked about before, couple times we were together before we talked about how you you know you cannot earn salvation there's nothing you can possibly do to gain God's favor John tells us God is love that's what he is that's his character and so love as she says only by love is love awakened we love him because he first loved us the bible says and to know God is to love Him. And so, love is the motivator. And that's why Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you do love Jesus, you will be obedient to Him. Because He not only is your Savior, He's your Lord. So you'll, you'll be pleased to please Him. See? So Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love is the, the motivator there. Two more points. First, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples in Matthew 20 that the overcomer will endure the baptism of suffering. Did Jesus suffer? Yes, Jesus suffered. Is it, is it uh, uh, something that we have to do in order to earn favor with God and, and in order to be saved? No. It's a result of the battle that we're in with evil. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Remember, this is when uh, the brothers, uh, John and, and James, their mother came and asked, hey, can they one sit at your right hand, one sit at your left, remember? And here it says, Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they say unto him, We're able. 
And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Now what baptism was Jesus talking about? He wasn't talking about the baptism of water. He was talking about the baptism of suffering. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear. We read about it in Hebrews 5. In Hebrews 5, verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's a powerful statement that Paul's making here. So, he learned... Um, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Isn't that interesting? And it made him perfect. And actually, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4. Verse 1, he says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So if you're going to be saved, you must be willing to endure the baptism of suffering as the follower of Jesus. Remember, there's only two sides in this conflict, isn't there? And the last scripture I have for you... (laughs) Well, not the last scripture, but the last point, I should say, um, has to do with this part of the process of sin sin coming out of our life. It's part of overcoming that we were going to have to suffer. And the reason is because we're in a battle, aren't we? Between good and evil. Why are we in this, this battle between good and evil? Well, God put enmity between us, see? In Genesis 3.15, this is where we, we see it. And I will put enmity. Well, what does enmity mean? Enmity means hatred. So, God says, I'm going to put a hatred between thee and the woman. And he's speaking to the serpent there in the garden. He says, and the woman is Eve. Symbolically, he's speaking about the two sides. The church of God and and Satan's church, so to speak. He's going to put enmity between the two. He says, And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, that you get into the original. The bruise means it's going to crush his head. Overcomers have something that must be overcome. Or else you wouldn't be overcoming it, right? So there's a conflict. And it started right there at the fall. The two sides were made up. And God comes in and says, I'm going to put enmity between the two of you. So, you know, I hear sometimes I I hear Christians complaining and complaining about the suffering and the persecution. And I'm not saying it's right. But what I'm saying is, we're in a conflict. You should expect it. The world hates us. The world hates Christ. If Christ is living in you, the world's going to hate you. Jesus said that. If you suffer for my sake, blessed are thou, is what he said. There's a conflict. Revelation 12, verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Which do what? They keep the commandments of God. See, if you love me, keep my commandments. They're the ones that keep the commandments of God. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. They have the they're a church of prophecy. They're, they have the faith of Jesus. They're on Jesus' side. So there is an, the dragon who's the devil. You read that in verse 9. He's at war with us. Okay, so there's this conflict. So when you study the life of Christ, and, and you find that his life was all peaches and cream. Is that right? No, you don't. You find that his life was a conflict. In fact, what was the cross all about? What was happening there at the cross? The devil was trying to torture Jesus to force him to sin. 
That's what it was about. And the Lord said to him, in effect, you can do whatever you want to do to my body, but you cannot make me sin. You see, the cross was not just an instrument of suffering, it was an instrument of conflict. And if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to be an overcomer, you must engage in the conflict. And Christians that don't want to engage in the conflict, they're not going to be overcomers. Now, when I say engage in the conflict, the conflict is in overcoming sin. It's not in overcoming someone else, per se. Peter, remember, he, they came to take the Lord there, and Peter jumped up and drew his sword, and he was ready to go to town. That's not, that's not the, the concept. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a spiritual war. And you don't conquer without a conflict. That just doesn't happen. Matthew 16. Did I close up here, friends? Our study. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. How do we be how are we to be an overcomer? How are we to be like Jesus? We need to follow Jesus. Here are the again are the points on how to be an overcomer. First, study the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. For that will lead us to repentance of sin. The second point, exercise faith in Jesus to help you. Sometimes that takes fasting and prayer, depending on what it, what it is that we need to overcome. The third point, know and memorize and use the scriptures. That's how we do battle with temptations of the devil. A fourth point, submit your will to God at all times, and you'll have victory, friends. You will have victory. A fifth point. Esteem others better than yourself. Be a servant as Jesus was a servant. Another point. Obey God's commandments from a heart of appreciation and love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You'll do whatever... You'll do the will of my Father. Remember that. I've done the will of my Father. And all that He's asked me to do. And we'll do the same. Uh, another point was expect and endure the suffering process and that's a part of the process that actually helps to cleanse us of sin. We will suffer. That's what sacrifice means. You know, when, when they made a sacrifice, the life of the animal died. Okay? There was a death to something. Alright? That's part of that, that uh, pro the process of cleansing us of sin. And engage in the conflict against the devil and sin. There's no neutral ground, friends. There's none. Jesus said, He who is with me, uh, he who is not against me is with me, right? Is that what he said? There's, there's a dividing line. You can't sit on the fence. You can't run away from this conflict. You're either on one side or you're on the other. By default. If you're not on the side of Christ, by default you're on the side of the devil. So we have choices to make. Do you want to be an overcomer? Your eternal destiny is at stake on whether or not you overcome. And it's really more critical now than it's ever been in the history of the world. We're in the last days. And you can overcome. Even if you are the weakest, you can. If you'll follow directions that are found in the life of Jesus. Jesus has made the promise. Let's have faith and believe His Word. So friends, will you make a commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm willing to pick up my cross. I'm, I'm willing to follow you and be an overcomer. Now, friends, if that's a commitment that you want to make, I'll invite you to pray with me now. Let's make that commitment together. What's happened in the past is over. It's done. We can't do anything about it except come to the Lord. 
So let's not wait. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to do this for us, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you for your promises. If we come to you and we look at that cross, we see how hideous sin is and, and what the result of sin is. It's eternal death. Lord, we're ashamed. We're ashamed of the decisions that we make. We pray that you will forgive us. We claim the blood that Jesus shed there for our sins. And we want to be overcomers. So help us, Lord, to look at the cross, to understand it, to repent of our sins, confess our sins, to give you our will. We're willing to be made willing to do thy will. Please help us to that end so that we may be that shining light on a hill to our families, our neighbors, to the world before probation closes. We want to see Jesus. We want to be with Him. So help us, Lord. Help Thou our unbelief. We thank You so much for hearing this prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus who is worthy. Amen.